This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the wavy pencil pants again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey everyone, hi, hello, it is me, Allison Rosen, and I'm sitting here with Mike Dawson, who you know as the voice of the Adam Carolla Show and all the Carolla Digital Shows. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how goes it? Very, very well, happy to be here. Good. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad it finally worked out. So I want to get into all the you stuff. But first, I have to say, because people know that one of my New Year's resolutions was to be on time mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. and the um, and I did it once. Once the the other show that we had was five minutes early, and then I, I knew that I was cutting it very close today, and I got in the car and I put in the address in Waze, and Waze said I would be arriving at three twenty seven, which would have been a cushion of three minutes. Right. But then I got fucked by Waze. I don't know if you use Waze I because don't know what Waze is. Oh, it's this app that like crowdsources directions and it gives you the best route, and it told me to take Highland, and I was like, I don't think mm. that's a good idea, but I. I did it anyway, and then I lost six minutes. It's a crapshoot in Los Angeles every time. I know. I mean, I think the lesson is don't cut it so close that you're relying on a cushion of three minutes. But I figured out what what it is, one of the things that makes me late. It's And also I shouldn't be cutting it so close that just one email will throw me off. But like one email that makes – like I'll be doing my hair, but I'm also looking at my phone, and I'll get an email that makes me go, ugh. Which, like, I'm like, I have to deal with this right now. And then that just eats up a chunk of time. Well, I was told uh, that when I worked at the Olympics in 2002 um, by one of my bosses, she said, you're either 10 minutes early or you're late. And so I've kind of taken that on as my thing. Even though we work in an environment where you're either five minutes late or you're early and early is not appreciated. Well, that's no, it's if, only not appreciated if by you come Adam, to someone and that's at his house on Thanksgiving day. Yeah, that's true. But hey, I know. Don't worry about it. No, you know, I, I used to be, I used to get here like, like an hour and 15, it was like an hour and 15 minutes early then 45 minutes early. And now I'm just, I'm so cutting it close all the time. I've got next year. 2015 is going to be my year. year. That's right. So, Dawson, um, I know a lot about you because we're coworkers, but I was realizing I don't know. There's there's plenty of things I don't know, such as where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? I grew up in Concord, California in the East Bay Area. Okay. Um, I have an older brother who is a UPS driver. Uh, My parents are still married. Um, uh, You know, upper middle class, nice upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um. We had to work for everything. I had my first full-time job when I was 12 years old. What would you do? Uh, landscaping maintenance, which is a nice way of saying I pulled weeds. Uh-huh. Um, when you were 12, who did you work for? Uh, the local gardener guy. And, um, you know, that was my father's rule when we were growing up. Uh, every summer you had to get a full-time job. Starting and then at he 12. Would, starting at 12. Wow. And then he took all the money and put it into a college fund. And it worked out very, very well because by the end of it, it only sucked the years that I actually 
had some good jobs and made some good money, and I yeah. had to turn it all over to my my parents. Is that legal? I mean, I know absolutely. It's, I know it's not legal for them to take the money. Like the is it one of the Coogan? There's some like Coogan Act, I think. I, I think uh, the, the as like long if you were a child star, 18. yeah, they can't take it for them, but if they're putting it into a thing for you. No, so going good. to college, you there was no question you would be going to college. Yes, there was. I was told I had to go to a University of California too. State mm-hmm. school wasn't good enough for my for right. my parents. What did you? What did what do your parents do? Uh, my mother was a travel agent. Uh, they're both retired now, and my father uh, was a uh, shift worker. He worked for a company called Dow Chemical. Oh yeah. He made chlorine, um, and uh, then he operated power plants. Um, didn't get to see my father much growing up because he was working shift work all the time, whether it was, uh, 3 PM to 11 PM or 11 PM to 7 AM or, you know, so it was one of those, uh, he had a, a, a weird schedule, but, um, I love my parents. They, uh, I think they, uh, I think they raised two good kids. <laughs> um, were they strict? Yeah. Very strict. How um, was that growing up? Tough. I hated it. Um, you know, looking back at, at uh, you know, all the things that – all the, the strictness, I'm grateful for it now, but um, I rebelled as much as I could how did as that, a teenager. How did that manifest? Oh, I chewed tobacco. I smoked cigarettes. Um, uh, but I was I was so afraid of the punishment from my parents that I was always – home before curfew um i uh you know didn't drink at parties um you know i can't think of a really specific example but there was a lot of grounding there was a lot of grounding and what was what was like a typical grounding uh two weeks in your room uh and we we didn't have tvs or anything like that in our bedrooms it was Mm -hmm. a boring place to be so, yeah, when we got grounded, we were uh, stuck alone in the bedroom um, and, uh, and you know, no questions asked, no, uh, no bargaining, no early dismissal for good behavior. <laughs> a punishment was a punishment. You couldn't get paroled. Um, nope. What, what was the kind of thing that would get you grounded? Oh, shit. Lying, getting in trouble in school, um, the regular stuff. Lying. Were your parents on the same page with all this? Yeah, absolutely. They were a unified front. <laughs> yeah. So, did you resent it for a while? Oh, I, I, I tried to repel as much as I could when I was, you know, fifteen years old. Um, um, you know, times get right into my father's face and yell "fuck you." Really, how'd that go? Um, not good. <laughs> not good. Um. There were, yeah, lots of grounding, lots of punishment, lots of fights. Um, you know, we were, it was still okay to spank your children when we grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, there, was a, there was a lot of that. Really? Was it in the heat of the moment or like your punishment is a spanking? Your punishment was a spanking. Really? Uh, at times, I remember when we were, when we were young, uh, my dad gave us a choice. He said, you can either be grounded to your room or get a spanking. And my brother and I chose getting grounded to our room. And he said, nope. Offer's off the table. You're getting a spanking. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I forget. 
I forget, but we 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 did get into a lot of trouble. I'm not. Oh, you God, know. you should you should have gotten those offers in writing. Right. <laughs> now I love my parents. I love my father. We 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 uh, uh, were at odds quite a bit, but uh, I am I'm truly grateful for the way I was raised. What what point did you realize that? Oh, I think I realized it after college um, when my dad said uh, when my dad basically sold his truck to me for a hundred bucks and said, congratulations, you uh, have no debt. You have a clean slate. Go out and do whatever it is you want to do. And he, he called me up a couple of weeks before graduation and he said, um, we're going to bring the trucks down and move all your stuff back home so that we don't have to deal it, deal with it on your graduation weekend. And I told him, Dad, I appreciate that. I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I just I need to tell you that uh, you're cut off. I'm not accepting any more money from you. I'm not accepting any more help from you. And that was my way of of taking over my life. My dad would have been happy. He always wanted me to be an engineer, mm-hmm. but he would have been happy if I was selling dishwashers at Sears, something, you know, with stability yeah something with appliances (laughs) something with stability something that was that was known and uh i told him you know you're cut off uh my life is mine now and i got this internship in radio and i'm gonna try that and he said okay good luck how are you gonna pay the bills i said well i work at a pizza place so worked at a pizza place valet parked cars and tried to break into the radio business Mm -hmm. uh at what age did you realize that's what you wanted to do (sighs) I was young. Um, we used to drive around. My mom had this old car called an Opal. It was an ugly green. Um, Gary is nodding. Gary is familiar, with, familiar the with the Opal. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was just the right size that I could stand up in the front seat of the Opal, and my head would be on the roof, and I could, you know, stand myself there as stiff as a board. And this is before car seats were the yeah, law. Yeah, this is. Way but before. I mean, this isn't a giant car, Allison. What he's no, talking about is under the age of ten, yeah. probably. Wow. Do is there? Do we have? A, can we find a photo of an Opal? Sure. Oh, I was probably five years old. I, I need to check with my mom, but we're driving around in the Opal, and um, a radio DJ would come on and he'd say something, and I remember turning down the radio, and then saying what he said and trying to say it better. Uh-huh. My mom kind of laughed and said, "I know what you're going to be." <laughs> And uh, it, it turned out that way. So the dream, what? Let me rephrase. Was the dream always radio? Yeah, I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted to play music and talk about music. Um, I was always infatuated with uh, uh, radio DJs. Grew up listening to uh, Camel 106 in San Francisco, KMEL, and then 97.3 KRQR, The Rocker. Back when back when radio was cool and Paola was alive and well. And, <laughs> And um, those guys were, you know, just it, w- it was always so cool to me to hear these guys' voices on the radio. And I could I could feel the power that they had. And I wanted that. What was that power to you? Um, ears. The audience. Uh, yeah. So many people um, listening to your every word. And, and when you're when you're on the radio, what you say, it, it mattered Back then, it mattered more than just somebody telling you something. If a radio jock told you something, then damn it, it was the truth. Why do you think that was? <clears throat> um, again, just just the audience, just um, 
just the fact that, you know, everybody knew who this person was and um, being able to hear that person's voice on the airwaves. I don't know. I don't know what my infatuation with it was, but I've always loved radio and, and, and DJs. Were there specific DJs that you that were your favorites? Yeah, there was a, a morning show guy. He went by the name The Lobster. <laughs> um, How unusual for yeah, morning radio. Yeah. Um, uh, I listened to a chick named Mimi Chen. Um, um, there were a whole bunch of uh, great people. Mercy Hawks, a guy named Mercy Hawks, not his <laughs> real name, but um, uh, Mercy Hawks just had this killer radio delivery voice. And um, you know, there there were there were a ton of them. There were there were a lot a lot of ones that uh, um, I can't remember this one guy's name, but he was a a DJ on K Fog in San Francisco. And I remember the first time I saw him, and it was the first time I ever saw a DJ. And I was completely blown away by the way this guy looked. Because you get this, you know, impression of the way someone looks when you hear their voice. And I remember seeing this guy and going, holy shit, dude, you're fat and old. What's going on? You don't sound that way. It was weird. I don't know. Um, now, you did not always have this voice, right? I I really don't know. I don't have any early recordings of myself, so I I, I don't know for sure. Um, but when I was 18 years old, I had a, a surgery, had my spleen taken out because I had some random blood disease, idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. The doctor said it was a good word to learn. Um, I tried to. I I mentioned that that came up on one of the Thursday shows, I think, and I was trying to say it, and I'm like, all I knew was. It has, I think, cytopenia is like all I had in it. Yeah. It's um, a section of the word. I think idiopathic means they don't know why it happened. And then thrombocytopenia means something and purpura means blood. So basically it means all of a sudden you're a hemophiliac, and, but you don't get blood transfusions. Your blood Were just you bleeding out? Uh, I would have bloody noses for days on mm-hmm. end. Um, you could just like flick me with a finger and it would bruise immediately. Um, it was very weird and very, very, very scary. I remember I was, you know, 17 years old and I asked my parents straight up, like, am I going to die? Um, because my uncle had it and it turned into lupus and he died. My mom oh, had geez. it. She got her spleen taken out and she was okay. But, you know, I was scared. There was how there was a chance there for a while that I, I could have died. Yeah. How uh, much longer before you had it did she have it? Uh, we were the same age. She was 17 when she had it. Oh, I was 17 so this when is I got something it. that you kind of grew up having known about? Um, I didn't know about oh. it until I got it and then found out that my mom had it. My uncle died from it. Is it was that her brother? Yeah. Um, wow. So did you – but you didn't know what it was when you first started I had no sick, idea. Right? We did um, – uh, for my high school that I went to, we did uh, – Missionary work, and I, I went to Mexico for like four days and fed people in prisons and um, uh, worked in an orphanage and, and did a bunch of stuff like that. Well, we um, we played a punching game. We drove down to Mexico from the Bay Area. How we fun. played a punching game the whole way down. Um, and I, I forget what the first game was, but eventually I changed it because I was tired of everybody swearing. And saying shit and fuck and all this stuff. And I'm like, you guys, we're, we're going to do missionary work. Can we please stop swearing? New rule. 
um, anyone who swears now gets pummeled. We all agreed to play that game, and then um, you were like the FCC already. I was I was the worst one at it though. Um, <laughs> I said I, I said uh, I said the F word, and everyone started hitting me, and I just I kept saying more F word. Fuck! Fuck! Stop! <laughs> shit! And you know, and then finally they stopped hitting me, and I go, "Fuck you guys!" And then boom, <laughs> hit me again. So I got home from that trip, and my whole arm was bruised brown all the way wow. through. My arm was brown. My mom took one look at it and she knew exactly what it was because she had it. And then it was doctor's appointments and and steroids and So they did they try to manage it they before. They tried to manage it. Yeah, I was on prednisone, a steroid that makes you look like a chipmunk. Oh, your face puffs up? Yeah, you eat mm-hmm. five meals a day. And um uh I was I was I was a bear to be around. I remember one time. Yeah, it affects your mood. Oh, God, it's terrible. I was such an asshole. Um, One time at dinner, I asked for the milk three times. Nobody heard me. And uh, I said, would you please pass the fucking milk? (laughs) And um, my dad, who, you know, under different circumstances, that would be a a slap and a grounding. Yeah. um, Just... uh, quietly put the milk in front of me and he got up and excused himself and walked out of the room and at that point i was like what the fuck what am i doing to myself i'm not taking these prednisone anymore i'm not Mm -hmm. taking the steroids so i stopped taking them and then went back to the doctor a few weeks later or every week for the checkup and um the doctor said well the prednisone stopped working so we got to take your take your spleen out and i didn't tell him i'm like fuck you dude i stopped taking it oh so conceivably it would have continued working you just would have been a it might have puffy asshole just would have been a puffy asshole exactly (laughs) so they took your spleen out i took my spleen out and i spent uh two weeks in the hospital recovering uh with a trach tube with a tube going up my nose down my throat and pumping my stomach constantly why did Um, they do that because you can't eat um well I don't know why they didn't want any food in my stomach. You know, I was getting fed through an IV, mm-hmm. but they couldn't have anything in my stomach like for some reason. Couldn't be digesting Couldn't it, be digesting yeah. anything. I mean, I had, I had staples and a huge scar. You know, they they got to crank up your rib cage and then dig behind your heart to pull out your spleen. It was major surgery, so probably yeah. has to do with the recovering uh, in that way. But then, you know, years later, I'm. Um, talking to a friend after she had surgery and her voice was 100% different after they pulled out the trach tube. So I'm not sure, you know, uh, obviously I didn't sound like this my whole life. Right. I don't know if it was just puberty or, or what. Um, but it's very possible that, uh, having a trach tube somehow affected my vocal cords. And, uh, if if that's the case, I'm grateful. (laughs) Do the other men in your family have deep voices? My brother and I sound very, very much alike, both in cadence and um, and uh, voice sound. If we're talking from around the corner, you wouldn't be able to tell if it's me or him. Mm-hmm. Was he worried that he was going to get this idiopathic? No, penia. No, he wasn't. In fact, um, <laughs> he was my older brother, and he was always. <laughs> I love my older brother, but <laughs> we've had you know brother. 
brother conflicts. And um, I remember one time I'm, I'm lying in the hospital bed and I can't eat. And uh, my brother's just outside of the glass sliding door. I had a nice room with a patio outside. And my brother's outside the door and he's eating a submarine sandwich and he's just looking at me through the window, taking bites of it and rubbing his tummy. And um, this big black uh, orderly walked in to change my blood or do something. And I look at the orderly, I go, see that guy? Go kick his ass. And um, the orderly gave one one hard look at my brother and my brother poof, just darted. But um, no, he wasn't worried that he would get it. Um, um, mainly because he was two years older than me and if it was going to happen to him, it should have happened already. Mm -hmm. So... I'm still stuck on the fact that there are hospital rooms with patios. Oh, yeah. This was uh, Kaiser Permanente in Walnut Creek. I mean, I guess it doesn't get better than that. It does. You know what? It doesn't get any better than that. Have you guys seen hospital rooms with patios? It was actually just an open court courtyard. Still, um, though. That's but nice. But every, every room had a glass slider to go outside. Yeah. Oh, every room. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Um, okay. So you went to UC Santa... Barbara. Okay. I went to UC Davis first. Okay. And then um, transferred to UCSB. I went to UC Davis as an aeronautical engineering major. <laughs> and um, I was actually really, really good at math in high school. And then I got my first taste of college math. I was, I was blown away. I was, I was like... Out of your depth. How do you understand this? I don't get it at all. So I ran fleeing from that school and... Um, did you out. ever really want to do aeronautics, or was that to please your dad? Uh, it was kind of to please my dad. I did want to fly jets, um, but uh, it was expected of me, I think, to be an engineer. That was, uh, and my dad always said, "You know, you know, Michael, uh, engineers can be DJs, but DJs can't be engineers." Oh, great, thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. <laughs> the the irony, though, being that not I mean not that kind of engineer, but you are a sound engineer. No, yes, yeah, so. and so he's happy about that. <laughs> yeah, finally an engineer pops. Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm actually that was uh, one of the smartest things I ever did was uh, go to audio engineering school because I've been working with this equipment and doing all this stuff for the last twenty years, and I I always knew you know what to do, but knowing why. You do something, opens a whole new world with uh, audio and equipment, and um, and yeah, that things are going great on that frontier. It's it's a lot of fun. I actually just got a call from um, uh, the bass player for an old band called Poco. He also played bass for Loggins and Messina. A guy named Randy Tico. Um, he uh, just hired me for a few engineering gigs. So 2014's looking good. Cool. Those are for heat recording? Uh, this specific one is uh, a high-end theater deal in Los Angeles. Lots of sound cues, lots of MIDI light cues. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to have to learn this new program and basically do live sound for, uh, I guess it's a play, some kind of theater performance, but with lots of audio cues and lighting cues and stuff like that. It's it's fairly simple. It's basically following a roadmap and knowing how to use the equipment, mm. you know. But, um, yeah, it's that's that. Fun. So when you transferred to UC Santa Barbara, 
What did you end up majoring in? Communication studies, which most people call it communications, but it wasn't communications. It was communication studies, lots of theory-based. UCSB is leading the forefront on them. They're doing all of the uh, uh, violence in TV studies. Oh. All of those major studies are Media coming studies. out of the University of California at Santa Barbara. Um, my degree, actually, strange because I don't really do anything. Well, I guess you could say I do work within my degree because, you know, I'm fluent in English and I talk for a living. But um, at the time I went to UCSB, the communication school was the uh, third highest ranked communication school in the nation. Um, so they they were they were serious about it. And I took that major because it was the easiest to graduate with. And it was eighty percent girls. So there were there who were some classes. Who wanted to be broadcasters? Or no, it wasn't just communication studies. Uh, right, it but wasn't I'm just a wondering broadcast if, school. Yeah, it had nothing to do with broadcasting. Um, was the school more female than male? That I don't know. I would say it's possible. Is UCSB? I feel like I asked this of someone else. I can't, get, I can't get clarity on this question. Is UCSB where it's divided into a bunch of different colleges like Mir and some other? No, that's, that's, uh, San, that's San Diego. That's okay. UC San Diego. They I'm got confusing several all campuses. of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was so sure Muir was one of the other ones, but I was wrong. I, Did you like college? I loved college. Um, I, uh, I loved it. Um, I liked some of the classes, but I just liked the freedom, um, the parties, the, uh, not living at home. Yeah, I did too. And I didn't yet realize part of what I'm liking is this independence, but this is not true independence. Right. I mean, it's, it's not the responsibility that comes with truly being on your own. Exactly. There was no responsibility right. whatsoever. But if, at the time, it feels like it. Cause you're like, yeah. cause you have, you know, so so many things do and how am I ever going to finish all my assignments and it feels very life or death but right. it's, but it's not that what I discovered was no when you graduate and enter the real world there's a lot riding on it but it's also really kind of mundane and banal and no one cares about right. your particular situation anymore exactly and your first five years after college just consider it graduate school don't, <laughs> don't plan on making any fucking money yeah, um, I was really ill-prepared for that aspect. I was really unaware of just how much I was going to fall on my ass after college and realize I don't know any – I don't know anything about how any of this works. I really thought – because I thought that college is like, you know, the you're you're right there and then you just turn into who, you're, who exactly. you are yeah, and yeah, that's off what I you go. Too. And instead it was really no, it's, going it's, backwards first. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't use my degree in my day-to-day business. I really don't know anyone uh, aside from, I guess, uh, chemical engineers or someone who actually does. But um, um, I think – if I, you know, it would have been probably smarter of me and certainly saved a lot of money if I just went to audio engineering school or even broadcasting school, for that matter, went to a 10-month program and got right into the workforce. Probably would have been way far ahead of, of other people, um, but I, you know, languished in the UC system for five and a half years and, um, and basically just partied. <laughs> um, I, uh, I would fight... I graduated with a 3.8 grade point average. I probably earned a 3.0, but I um, 
bargained. It's not the grade you earn. It's the grade you bargain for in college. How do you do that? Oh, you go in and, and you ask the TA or teacher to break down their grading system to you. And they break it down and they say, well, you know, the, your paper is worth this much. Uh, this is worth this much. To, um, class participation worth this. And class participation is where I always got them. They said, um, you know, class participation and discussion is, is 10% of your grade. And I said, well, what I get in that? And they said, well, you got full points. I said, well, did I say, did I contribute to every single class? Yes, you did. Would you say that I contributed more or less than the other students who got full points? Well, more. Okay, well, don't you think that's worth 15 points instead of 10? And then finally a TA would basically say, look, I'm giving you an A-. minus. Please get out of my office. Wow. And I say, thank you. So you you just annoyed them until they gave you a better grade. (laughs) Yeah. Have you used this in other aspects of life? This is an area of life where I feel like I'm not – um, I'm not taking advantage of it enough. Well, you never know what people will give you uh, until you ask for it. Right. But then when you find out it's not what you want, don't you just feel yucky? That's, I don't know. That's me talking. Oh, yeah, you've I never had know. that experience. I, I, I'm sure I've had that experience. <laughs> um, but um, now it's just it's, – it's amazing what people will give you if you just ask. Can't hurt to ask if they say no. Okay. See – Far too often, I feel like I shouldn't even put this out into the ether lest I be employed by other human beings in the future. <laughs> but I think that to me, the the talking about money, asking for a raise conversation mm-hmm. is is very similar to the where is this relationship going conversation. And it's right. like once you have once you have it, if the answer is not what you want, then oftentimes I, it's kind of a that tells you that you need to make a move soon. Yeah. And so. And then, and then, you know, if you accept the offer of a raise, are you stuck? Are you now obligated? Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the fear is, I think the fear is if the, if I find out, you know, if I walk away not getting what I wanted, then what do I do? It's going to push me into action. I don't want to have to take an action yet. That's true. It will push you into action. Um, and I guess I, I guess you just shouldn't look for those ultimatums or push those ultimatums until you're prepared for right the right answer. Oh yeah, yeah. Answer. I can imagine asking for a raise would be easy when you're kind of at a like I could take this or leave this right. situation. Right. Um, I, but I mean, I in general I avoid uncomfortable conversations that I suspect are going to be uncomfortable. I would rather not have them. Yeah. So are I, you not I, that way? Uh, I'm kind of that way and kind of not that way. I'm really, really trying. My New Year's resolution is to try not to be a dick, by the way. How's that going so far? And I don't mean that in a dick way. Um, it's it's top of mind. <laughs> um, I think I'm doing a little a little better at it. Um, Have, do you feel you've been a dick? Oh, I, look, yeah, I, I'm a dick. I'm I'm, uh, I'm a nice guy, you know, but um, if uh, I don't know, I've I I can I can Gary will tell you I can be a dick. Sure, we we both can. I'm just I'm I'm trying not to be a dick. I'm trying to be trying to think before I speak. Trying not to react to little things that piss me off. Um, where were we? How did I get on this? I love this, though. Okay. 
I just have to say, I think it's interesting that a lot of people's New Year's resolution this year within Corolla Digital has been about self-improvement. As opposed to, I don't know what other things would be, not to bite your nails or something, you know. Well, my but other New Year's resolution like is to, to get Alan Parsons into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yep, I'm going to take that all on my shoulders. <laughs> How's that going so far? Uh, well, I spoke with David Wilde about it, and he's on the selection committee. Well, there so, you go. Uh, it's, it's going. All right, so, so you're not going to be a dick. I'm not going to be a dick. But do you feel like your propensity towards dick, dickishness has come about as you've gotten older or have you always sort of it's had... come about i've i've always been kind of a dick yes <laughs> but um it's it, it, it's more come about um um uh, i'm i'm God, i don't want to sound like an arrogant fucking douchebag but i'm good at what i do and i expect the same level of quality from everyone everyone i work with um i've got I've got my own employees in my own company, and I I ride them big time because of what I expect. And I I let them know that look, I'm going to send you out into the real world after you finish college, and you're going to get a job, and you're not going to get coddled. Um, so you're better off that I'm a dick to you right now, so that you're numb to it, or, <laughs> you know, or at least learn from it and and can survive in the real world. That's um, how, how generous of you. Well, it's it's kind of the way um, tasing. It was the way I came up, you know, in the in the in the radio world. Um, you are not necessarily hazed, but you're not treated very good coming up. Um, and, you know, I, in in working hard for everything that I have, I feel that other people should work as hard. And when I see or perceive that they're not, um, <clears throat> I get dickish. I don't know. No, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people can relate to that. But um, I, I just think in general, I could be, I could, I could use to be a little bit nicer to people. Mm -hmm. How does that affect your personal life? Um, I I don't really see any problems. I don't know. Um Yeah, sometimes sometimes I'm not fun to be around. Um sometimes I don't get phone calls. Sometimes I don't get invited places. Um but then again, I really enjoy being home with my dog and probably wouldn't go anyway. No, what what I meant was um is you do you feel like you're you can be a dick within the within um like in a work situation or are you also a dick to your friends um it's it's mainly in a work situation but yes i can be a dick to my friends but it's you know my friends are my friends and they understand that i'm a dick <laughs> and uh, it's all good um so how did you start working for adam uh, let's see. I was a DJ in San Diego working seven to midnight, um, on one Oh three, seven, the planet. And it was a great job. I was the music director and assistant program director there. And, um, were you living down there? Yeah. And then one day I wake up and I turn on the radio 
and there's something new on the station. And it's FM talk. It's like Adam Carolla in the morning, Tom Likas in the afternoon. What the fuck is this? <laughs> we don't have a job. I go into work and I uh, get summarily fired and, you know, let go, not really fired, just uh, stations going a different way. They're keeping some of the production people, but here's your severance. Two weeks, good luck. And I actually, 100% honestly, said to them, fuck you, I'm going to go get a job with Adam Carolla. And then I went back home to my parents' house in San Francisco, did a, a midday shift on a San Francisco radio station, but they, they paid me minimum wage, wasn't livable. Um, and I kept bugging them for a full-time job, but then every day I'm checking allaccess.com, which is a great radio resource for finding jobs. And um, Adam Carolla's show was looking for a technical producer. So I uh, applied for the job, and I'm like, technical, what, what, what is a technical? I don't even know what a technical producer is. Can I do this? And um, so I applied for the job, and they said, send us – Send us your most recent bit. What's a bit? Uh, okay, what do I do? So I started thinking about it. And I'm like, um, well, it was an Olympic year. Um, I think it was 2006 Torino Olympics. And uh, Bodie Miller was like supposed to be uh, big time, but he just failed miserably that year at the Olympics. And um, so what I did was I, I took uh, – the Olympic theme music that it don't 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 and I did a voiceover over it saying uh you know we salute the top five things we don't want to remember about the <laughs> Winter Olympics and um you know one of them was uh Bodie Miller hey Bodie how was the party bro <laughs> listen my cousin Lorenzo says you still owe him 15 million lira for that three pounds 11 he's blonde hash and then, uh, you know, and I just, I, I put this bit together. I think the last one I did was, and the final thing we'd like to forget about the Winter Olympics, curling. <laughs> yes, curling. And anyway, I've since turned the corner on curling, by the way. Really? It is, I, I, I am going to be an Olympic athlete one day, and curling is my saving grace. Um, it's, how did it's, how did you turn the? All I know of curling is the like sweeping the ice thing. Curling is like ice bocce. That's like uh, that bring it to life for me. No, you mm. don't play bocce. No. Okay. Not. A, oh wait a minute. With bocce, the balls? Is bocce also called patonk? Because I know that, but I don't know anything else. <laughs> I, I think it I is. Don't, I don't know. I believe it is also called that. Um. But uh, no, curling is fun. Curling is a great drinking sport. So you never curled. played. I know. Oh. I, I. I. I've. I. I love watching curling now. Wow. It's weird. It's weird. But um, anytime anyone says, get rid of curling in the Olympics, I'm all up in their face and going, this is our last shot to ever be an Olympic athlete. Because it doesn't matter what, how old you are? It doesn't matter curl. how old you are. You, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you can do it at any age, in any condition. Um, you don't have to be a, a major awesome athlete to be a professional curler. What do you? What do they wear on their feet? I think they wear uh, they slick, wear... slicky shoes. Oh, not ice skates. Not ice skates. No, just just shoes that that float on the ice. You don't you don't so much walk on the ice as you do shimmy. 
<laughs> All right. You're, it's, I'm being sold. Okay, so you turned in this bit, and then what happened? I turned in the bit and, um, and then just kind of waited. And they called me up and said, um, we'd like you to come down and audition for the show. And I said, great. And um, they uh, flew me down to Los Angeles. Wow. Put me up in a, the Mondrian Hotel for a week. Who's, whose dime was this? CBS Radio. Okay. And um, Because it doesn't sound like Adam. I worked from 3.30 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the afternoon uh, for, you know, Monday through Friday. And um, I remember... Doing what? Uh, producing bits for the show, um, just slapping audio together. Was it all stuff that you had done before? Uh, on a much, much, much smaller scale. Before I, you had done it on a small scale. Yeah. I, I did not know if I was really getting in above my head. It was it was very possible mm-hmm. that, that I couldn't handle this job. But when I got in and, and saw what it was all about, um, I, I performed well. Um, and then on the last, the last day of my audition, Jim Brusca, who you'll hear I know that about. name. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. A lot of, uh, fun. <laughs> that guy. He was a producer. <clears throat> he was the producer. the producer. He was the producer. Um, as Poochie's uncle would say, the show is dangerously close to being overproduced. <laughs> but, um, Jim Brusca came into my little studio where I was working on something and he said, okay, I need this promo. I need you to do this and this and this and this. And I slap it together and less than a minute later, I go, here you go. That's not what I said. I want this, 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 and this. I'm like, okay, whatever you say, boss. And I slap that together. And then it comes back at me for a third lap. That's not what I said. Are you fucking listening to me? Do this, 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 and this. And again, I, just, I didn't say a word. I said, okay, you got it. Boom, boom, boom. And delivered that to him. And then he just walks out of the room. I find out later that, that was the final test. To um, see if you cracked you, under, can under you pressure. Can you get yelled at? And are you going to be a dick or can you handle it? And so and I, I handled it. And then, and then I got a call uh, a couple weeks later from Jack Silver. Um, and this is where I learned never take the first offer. <laughs> Um, cause you took it or I took it. Uh, I was offered something like he said, we're going to pay you 65,000 a year, which was exponentially bigger than, you know, yeah. more than twice as much as I've ever made in radio. So I was immediately sweet. Awesome. I'll take it. No problem. Come to find out six months later, they had budgeted $80,000 for the job. And offered me $15,000 less, and I took Assuming it. you would go up or... Right. And then it took me two years to get to that $80,000 How did you find out they had range. budgeted that much? I don't remember. I think Mike Lynch may have told me. Uh, I think he knew. Or maybe it was Adam's assistant. It might have been Adam's old assistant, Lindsay, who told me. I think it was her who told me. I got to say, there's just like a, a Rolodex in my mind flipping back through every first offer I've accepted. Yeah. And, and now Cause, I, just, cause they I always, don't take the first offer now. They always say, this is all, we, they always pre- present it with this is, in, right? Am I right? That's yeah. what they always do? <clears throat> Absolutely. So every time they've been like, this is all we can offer. They're lying. Because to me, what they're saying is, I want you to know this is not, an, you can't negotiate this. That's what they're and saying. And then I'm always like, okay. But what you're saying is I could have. I think so. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I don't. I don't know. You know, life's not case. about money. I don't know in this case. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't think. Li- I don't think life is about money. But when someone gets no, one I'm, over I'm talking on you, about jobs. I'm not talking about this job. Okay. I'm talking about when past someone, jobs. Yeah. When someone gets one over on you and it's money wise, <clears> that <throat> it sucks. That's not cool. No. So it's yeah. It's really tough to know. It is tough to know. It's tough um, to know your value. What I good. What I do in. Uh, um, you know the 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 voiceover world. Um, now this is uh, probably shouldn't be saying this because a lot of people who hire me are going to be listening. But um, if someone asks me what my rate is, I'll turn around and tell them what's your budget. Yeah. So I'm not going to say the number first um, because most likely I'll say a number, and then they'll have budgeted twice that amount. And they'll be like, "Okay, great, we can do that." Mm-hmm. So you leave all this other money on the table. Um. And then so you get them to say a number first and then you say – and then you double it and say, this is what I work for. You double it? Yeah. And does – wow. And do they, they – they're just like, okay. Um, no. They usually go up a little bit. They say, well, okay, we can afford this much. And then they get closer to the real number. Uh-huh. And then, um, you know, usually by then I feel like, okay, you know, I – it comes down to, do I want to do this job or not? Um, and usually I want to do the job because all I have to do is talk. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Um, what am I going to do? Sit on my ass and not talk and not make $300? Right. Or talk and make $300? Now, what if <coughs> they don't start by asking you what your rate is? What if they just say it pays this? Then um, do you say I usually work for twice that? You Sometimes. It really depends on what the number is. If yeah. if it's a good number, I've been offered, you know, when someone offers you a thousand dollars for a sixty second read, that's great. You take it, no problem. Um, someone offers you two hundred dollars for the same thing. If you like the project, you, you do want to let these people know that. Look, I don't usually do anything for less than three hundred dollars. So, can you get to three hundred? If they can, they can. If they can't, you know, they do want, you know, they do want you to do that voiceover. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll try. But if, if they can't, then you, you know, you got to take them at their word and then say, okay. But you do. I, I let them know that this is under budget and I'm going to do this because I believe in your project and I'm hoping to create a relationship with you in hopes that there is more work down the road. Yeah. And that's that's where a lot of. A lot of my voiceover money has come from. I have had some of the um, same clients for the last 20 years. And they, you know, keep coming to me. And, you know, 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there adds up to tens of thousands of dollars over the last 20 years. See, I'm – this is only related by money. Um, <laughs> it's, a ta- it's a tangent. <clears throat> Many things are. Uh, but what I'm discovering with – all this like weddings vendor stuff mm-hmm. is that I'll meet someone and then the quote they'll give us will be astronomical. Oh, of course. Like, holy shit. I, there's no, if you think I'm paying 8,000 for flowers, go fuck yourself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I, thank hey, you. Hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> that one in particular. Cause I was like, we're so, we're so over budget and that's so, I just, whatever. I'm sure to some people flowers are that important, but that still seems that, insane. No, that is insane. That is that's insane. That's completely insane. You can go to a florist and do it yourself. Right. Uh, like, what? <laughs> I'm, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm simplifying it because it was more than like just flowers, but still. But still. But still, but but it's been a series of th- of things where we meet with people, and then the price they give us is so much that I think, okay, well, we're just going to go with someone who's less than that. But I wonder if they knew that ultimately I was just instead of negotiating, I'm just ruling you out based on the number you quote. I wonder if that would make them want to come down because I it would make them want to come down. Yeah, they were better business people. Then the next question they should ask is, okay, well, what is your budget? Yeah, I can work within your budget because I feel like it probably instead of just not writing them back or just not going further, I should sort of let them know that yeah, yeah, I just I'm totally into you. I just I cannot afford this. I was looking for someone to rebuild my website. It's been outdated for the longest time, and um. You know, I, I started this search on Twitter just to see if there was anybody out there. And mm-hmm. A few people who, who quoted me, you know, five, six hundred bucks to build a Web page. But it's it's some dude in Florida that I don't mm-hmm. you know, I don't know who he is. I don't know any of his work, whatever. So I ended up going with a, a company called Oniracom that's based in Santa Barbara. And um, they built Jack Johnson's website and they got they they do some great work so i uh, they said they're going to put together a proposal for me and they quoted me $18,000 wow. to build a website and most people would just walk away and go uh yeah. i wrote them an email and said look i really love your guys work <laughs> it's unfortunate that we will not be able to do business together right there's no way in hell i'm going to afford this thank you for your time did you actually say and no good way luck. in hell yeah I said, you know, yeah. thank you for your time. And, right. But, yeah, there, there's no way in hell I can pay this. And then they go, oh, okay, well, let's, you know. Right. They, they got th- it down to, I think, I, think um, I don't think I should disclose what I'm paying because they gave me the friends and family rate, mm-hmm. uh, as they called it. Um, but it's significantly lower. 10% of what they originally quoted. Yeah. See, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you get – Coffee at a hotel that a lot of businessmen go to, and it's like $14 for a cup of coffee or something. I think a lot of these places are quoting prices, assuming that the person on the other end doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they think they're just trying not to leave any money on the table. Yeah, if, like if, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that you're going to say yes. Yeah, I'm sure no that problem. Jack John, well, I don't know about Jack Johnson, but I'm sure that there's someone's record label is just like, okay, whatever, we'll pay whatever sure. for it. Sure. With the wedding thing, I don't know. I don't know if they're assuming that there are some people. I mean, I'm sure they there are, are some people assuming that who this are is like, the most important day of your life, and you will pay whatever they say. There may also yeah. be an assumption that there's a bigger checkbook behind you. Yeah, right. Like yeah. for my sister's wedding, that was the case, and my mom would just say yes to stupid shit. Right. I know. Maybe I should make it to. clear that I'm paying, or Daniel and I are paying for this. Yeah, you should let them know. Yeah. Are you? Uh, have you decided on whether you're going to have a DJ or a live band? Or I, I was tweeting about that. Um, I, I don't. There isn't really the room to have a live band unless it was a real small one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm leaning more towards DJ. Although a lot of people are like, just do a, a iPod playlist or something like that. I but did that then, for my friend's wedding. You did. My friend asked me. I, I was able to secure, you know, a sound system for him, and then he and his wife. Wrote down a list of all these songs, and I put the songs together in one, not even a playlist, uh, one audio file that was six hours long. And in between it, just for shits and giggles to make them laugh, uh, in between it, I would I would put in little, congratulations to Michael <laughs> and Alana. Welcome to the best wedding in the world. 
I know, like that. Like that. Yeah. And so they just played it at their wedding. They just, yeah, they just hit play, and there, there was a sound system, and there it goes. But um, I mean, that is a way. That is definitely a way to save money. Yeah. But with the with the DJ, what you have is someone who can sort of read the crowd, first dance, yeah, all that kind of stuff. The yeah, announcements and the sort of cha- dip, you know playing different things depending on the mood. Right. But then there's so many people who are, who are really anti wedding DJ. No, yeah, but, but it's then your you can, wedding. You can find. Well, I'm not like, I don't know. <sighs> This is my problem throughout this whole process. I haven't been dreaming of my wedding since I was a little girl. Okay. So I don't – it's not like, oh, yeah, ever since I was six, I've known that it's going to be this way. I just mm-hmm. – I know what I like when I see it and I'm also very particular. So this right. whole thing is like a lot of anxiety. Well, there's uh, there's DJ Matty Matt up in Santa Barbara who's a friend of mine, good guy. Uh, he would do your wedding. And then uh, Marco, guitarist for the band Sugar Cult, is also a – Wedding DJ. Um, he just did a DJ set opening up for Nerf Herder. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, now know, would, those are two that I could recommend. And and the Sugar Cult guy, did you say he does weddings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's the other thing is that, like, I, you know, there are DJs I know who are cool DJs who do a lounge night at this club, but mm-hmm. then I'm worried that it would almost be insulting to someone who actually has a ton of vinyl to say, could you just play – Cool in the gang, <laughs> or right. whatever. Well, I mean, everybody now has everything on a hard drive, and it's you know, I mean, it, 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 playing music at events has changed with uh, technology for the better. I mean, mm-hmm. songs are songs are at a at a touch. It's, anybody can have access to any song yeah. at any time and just hit play. It's 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 really I don't know. But yeah, you, there's the, the stigma with being a wedding DJ right. and how cheesy is the guy going to get? And it's always the butt of a joke. But I, I think right. there are what certain people who job. can balance it. Yeah. You know? Well, there's a couple names that I've been given that I'm going to ask you off air okay. um, that I've heard are, are, are good. Okay. Um, I think we should do just mere everyone. But first, I want to ask you, you have a new podcast you're starting, yes? Yes. I'm starting a brand new podcast. It's called Front of House. Um, and it's basically a stereo music podcast um, where I get to introduce people to music they may not have heard. Uh, it's kind of fashioned after like VH1 storytellers. Um where uh, I'll get an artist into my home studio and uh, plug him into the Pro Tools rig and um, play some songs and talk about the music. Um, I've got three of them in the can right now. The first one is up at soundcloud.com slash Dos Angeles. Um, and the first one, I have thousands of hours of personally recorded, bootlegged and otherwise live performances that no one will ever be able to hear because it's never going to be released. Mm-hmm. So I'm creating uh, an avenue for for those who love music and are tired of being force-fed what radio is giving them these days. Um, um, just trying to put out a product for people who like music and want to hear something new. Um, and, you know, on top of that, I got... You know, 20 years in radio, uh, DJ, music programming, interviewing, um, and then working for Adam and this whole new podcast thing. 
it just it it felt to me that it was appropriate that I try to do this. I tried to take, you know, something that that you may listen to on a on a a, a Sunday night on terrestrial radio, like Uncle Joe Benson's Off the Record, or uh, I don't know if you remember the show Rockline. Um, I don't know if I do. A Rockline was um, where they have like Rush on Rockline, and you'd be able to call. <laughs> And uh, wait in the long line of oh, queue cool. and be able to talk to Rush and things like that. So what I'm, I'm trying to do is just take the quality of a syndicated radio broadca- broadcast and put it on demand um, with high quality audio. Um, and um, and yeah, it's you know it's it's um, I'm on Twitter out there. Uh, uh, the podcast is on Twitter at foh pod. And um, my Twitter is Dos Angeles, um, and all of that information on the shows will get distributed. Who are the, so that. you have three that are available. Who are the I, bands? Uh, the first one is Jonathan McEwen, who played the Corolla on, show. Yeah. Um, I engineered and recorded a live show with him opening up for the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band in Rupert, Idaho. And so I took that show and talked about what it was like to record it, some interesting stories, um, and play basically that whole CD um, through show one. Show two is a gentleman named Phil Cody who was uh, signed to Interscope Records a long time ago. Um, one of my favorite songwriters. And he is releasing a new album of all Warren Zevon covers. And so he plays a few of those songs and I interview him and tell the story of his Interscope days and his uh, doing a Warren Zevon tribute album. I, I try to tell it through his music. And so he'll talk and I'll interlay in his songs. And um, and I've, I've just – that one took a lot of post-production because I got in the room with Phil Cody and he's a talker. Um, and he talked for like three and a half hours. And I had to, you know, really go through and snip, snip, and try to um, condense, try to condense it down, without losing some of the good stuff. And it's it's tough. And then show number three, uh, Kelly James, who you're oh, familiar yeah. with. Um, Kelly came over, and um, and uh, we talked, and he played like uh, five or six songs in my living room, and I tracked it all in, into Pro Tools. And then I go back into the Pro Tools rig and I formally mix it and put on the right reverb and the right delay and and make it sound like a professional studio album so that you're going seamlessly from Kelly James talking into one of these mics to getting into a, a different vocal mic with his guitar in hand. And it goes seamless from one to the other, but in your head, it really sounds like that dude just walked into a studio. <laughs> so I'm with the with the technology that's available and out there right now, and with with my background and 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 knowledge of artists and ability to speak with them at at, at their level and their language. Um, I uh, I think it's a home run. I just need people to listen. So tell me what you think. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll all have to go check it out. And can I ask a question? Because this is just sticking in my fucking head. Sure. All right. Now, when you told <laughs> the website people that you guys were not going to be working together, did you really think you assumed you were walking away from it, right? Or did, I mean, did you think they were really going to come down that much? 
I didn't think they were going to come down as much as they did. But you, okay. But I knew they wanted to work with me. I knew they knew who I was, and um, they wanted this project. You knew that. I did. But because they had I, contacted you on Twitter. No, because um, I was done through a friend, hmm. and they were just they. I, I still, I still play a semi. A, a role of some exposure in the Santa Barbara area. Mm -hmm. uh, my voice is still all over radio there. Um, I'm operating a music venue up there. Um, um, right, so you knew you had I host leverage. the Avocado Fest. I host Earth Day every year. So these guys know me from that. Right. And, and they also know that I work for Adam. And, and I, I felt that they wanted... To do the job, mm -hmm. but no, I was I, I honestly was ready ready to walk away. Like, there I can't afford that. Yeah, and, but I did say it in such a way that that you know, um, that it was like slamming a door. Yeah, you know, it was kind of like you guys are crazy. <laughs> uh, see, ya, can't do it. And um, they came back with uh, with a deal that um, still was quite more than I would have paid someone else but simply because if i ever need to get in touch with someone um i can always uh drive up to santa barbara and strangle someone <laughs> from this company if they did me wrong did you uh, so they came back with an offer and you took that or then there was further <laughs> negotiation there was further negotiation they wanted um an outrageous amount of money uh to host uh every year and i said you know i let them come down on the initial pricing and then i told them what can we do about this uh, per year hosting? Because right. I pay a tenth of that right now, and they came down a little bit on that. And um, and Ugh. because I really really like their work, um, I just wasn't prepared to pay eighteen thousand dollars for it. Um, but they came they came down enough to where it uh, it made sense to me. I've just got to say, all of this makes me want to curl up and die. This like rounds of negotiation and just all of that hardball. And I know that there are people who get off on it. They're agents probably. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's a female thing though. Like I wonder if there are women who love this. Because love I, I, I think the, part of the reason that it, I have that reaction is I'm like this is an activity that takes place in rooms where I am uncomfortable. This is right. something, you know. Like even little, little things like – Oh, it's not even – it's not even worth going into. It's a stupid well, is it, thing. Is it, but it's it, like just even sort of when someone's like, here's what we can do. And I'm like, that is not fair and it doesn't work for me. And having to even express that makes mm -hmm. me makes me uncomfortable. But then what's what's it worth holding on to that and and thinking, you know, for the next few weeks that maybe I should have said something. Maybe I should have negotiated. Yeah. Um, I think you You're feel right. a little better – I think you're you know, right. Speaking I mean, I, your mind and taking a stand is 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 good for the soul. I know you're right. I need to I need to um, embrace that more yeah. because I think that I if something bothers me, my my tendency and I have gotten better about this, but my tendency is to just I'm just going to act like everything's okay, but mm -hmm. inside I'm upset, and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to deal with that because somehow that is easier than letting. It's almost to me, it's sort of like it's like you know, lighting gasoline to actually try to talk it out. Right. But I mean, not, you know, like Daniel and I talk through things all the time. So mm -hmm. it's not like I never do, but I'm insane in situations where I don't know what I'm dealing with yet. Right. Well, in business situations, I mean, you just can't downgrade yourself. You are a commodity. 
and everybody's got a price. And if people don't meet your price, you need to speak up and let them know. Yeah. You know, and you'll feel better about yourself. And you'll also find out that um, it's easier really than, than you think it is. Negotiating is, is very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, if you, if you, if you have a fair price in mind and you are being severely lowballed, um, they know it. They're just seeing if you bite. Right. If you don't bite, in the end, they respect you more for it and they'll pay you what it's worth in the first place. I mean, it's actually the, the things that I'm dealing with now are ones where I'm on the other end of it. It's not even me being paid for stuff. It's me paying for services where I feel mm-hmm. like I'm I'm being overcharged or I'm being nickeled and dimed and things like that. That's when you negotiate. Yeah. And, and just the best way to negotiate is find someone else who will do it for cheaper and then tell them. Yeah. You know, hey, these guys are going to do it for this price. So I got uh, web hosting for under seven bucks a month um, wow. because this company was charging me 20 and another company came in and said they do it for seven. And I called this company and said, I am pulling everything from you guys. I'm going to put it on this other thing. Why? What are they offering you? Seven bucks a month. Okay, we'll do that. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now let's do just me or everyone. Yay. Sometimes I. On something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. I love ARIYNBF, and I do like that Twitter handle. Says, after sitting for a long time, I let quiet farts slip out as I walk, also known as crop dusting. Well, of course that's everyone. That's why it's called crop dusting. Hmm. I think that's everyone. Yeah. Except I like to rip them personally. I don't like to let them. You, know, you feel like it's wasted potential. Wasted potential. It's it's it's. You're not getting enough bang for your buck. You need to really force them out there. Mm-hmm. Even if you're alone. Especially if you're alone. <laughs> especially if you're alone. You're, you're nodding, Gary. Is this your fart? Well, especially if you're waiting. alone. I mean, that's when whatever goes. I mean, that's it's right. your time. But I mean, even even when we're in the control room here, if I got to let one go. Um, I you know I want a everyone to know it was me, and b, um, yeah, and b b. Is Dawson aware of what I did to you? I don't think so. No, Have you happened? ever told that story on this show? No, I, I don't know. no. I, out did of you respect to dusted? you, I yeah. did not. At this point, I mean, it's it's coming up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the the Adam Carolla show is a very male environment, as everyone knows. So in the engineering room, anything goes, and we will try to outdo each other and just fart away. <laughs> so one night after you left, actually, you might have still been here, like finishing up editing the show, because me and Allison were waiting for you to to record something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we were uh, out there. We on were the standing co- in the back in the uh, green room by the couches, and it was like me and Chris and somebody else. I think Jeff Fox was Jeff there. Jeff Fox was there, and I'm standing about three <laughs> feet away from Allison looking her right in the eye, and we're having a conversation, and I lift my right leg and fart and keep talking like nothing <laughs> happened. Nice. <laughs> because I had just completely forgotten who I was interacting with. 
Well, that's and, that. Uh, yeah. That shows a level of comfort that you two have been able to. <laughs> I actually with each just other. obliviousness. No. Like, that's when you must say. That's when Allison must say, "Wow, Gary, you really like me." Well, actually, I was cool with it. I was she like, was. "Oh, she I really was, am just yeah. one of the guys." But she was then, really chill about it. once Gary realized what he had done, he was. <laughs> kind I was of mortified. mortified. Well, of course, I'm looking a <laughs> woman right in the eye. And I'm right. Just, like, I mean, it, listen, it becomes the, muscle memory. At well, that the point. fart was one thing, but I literally lifted my right yeah. leg like yeah. six inches off. <laughs> I think Jeff was like, oh, good. We are going to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. Nicholas Lee says, when you sweep hardwood floors really well and after mopping, you have to sweep again. Just me or everyone. Well, that's a weird just me or everyone construction. But let's see. He's saying, do you have the experience where you sweep hard, hardwood floors really well and after mopping, you have to sweep again? I have a housekeeper. There you go. There you go. We should be asking her. So just you. Um. Here's the thing. Sweeping just doesn't work that well. You need to swift. Yeah, Vac- I agree. Vacuum and swiffer. Yeah. I feel like a broom is just... We've been putting up with brooms for too long. Yeah, broom is outdated. Shelby Bauer says, When I clean my ears with a Q-tip, I am very let down when it comes out clean. I mean, yeah. I took the risk, whereas the reward just me. I find there's really no relationship between what I expect to find on the Q-tip and what I find. I'll mm. think it's just going to be nothing, and then it's like... Well, look at that. Or I'll think there's a lot based on like my ears itching. And then there's, you know, it's nothing. Well, I, it sucks. I live my life inside headphones. So my ears mm. are very impacted. And um, <laughs> um, when I, if sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll clean them out with a Q-tip and if nothing comes out, it's like a totally unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Nicholas Lee says, having to check for. Nicholas Lee, I appreciate your devotion to just me or everyone, but you're going to need to punctuate differently or just phrase differently. You know what? You just be you and I'll just translate. Having to check for worms right after it rains, just me or everyone. So the question is, does everyone have to? No, I don't check for worms after it rains. I don't like worms, though. Yeah, I think it's just you, Nicholas Lee. Paris Paramus says, my text reply go to, my text replies go to the wrong people, like the XXXOOs that went to a male lawyer colleague. Smear everyone. Well, that's always my fear. My fear is that I'm like I often with email and with text, I have to make sure I just sent whatever I did sent you to ever, the right person. Did you ever do that? Have you ever sent out? Only once a long time ago when I was emailing, I there was a guy that I liked and I was talking to someone else about it and I was like, you know, and and he said da 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 and then I sent it to him. And that was a horrible, horrible feeling. Although somehow he took it in stride because it was like uh I forget how it it wasn't a problem, but it, there was I I could pass it off as something else. Um, it has never happened on text, thankfully. There was uh there was one text we saw when we were uh, uh, doing the Corolla show. Sometimes funny things come up on the internet, and maybe it was something for your news. I don't know, but some guy had accidentally texted his wife when he thought he was texting his girlfriend. Oh no! And he texted, uh, "We should break up," <laughs> and the wife replies. LOL. And then he texts again. Um, oh, sorry. That was meant for someone else. And she texts back. Okay. And then wait, what? So that's how wow. she found out that. Uh, and yeah, he, he, he could have gotten it. away with it. Yeah. Uh, Jay says, I judge people by the punctuation in their text messages. Um, th- no. I don't usually unless it's clear that they're trying to use it correctly and they're fucking up. 
Uh, I kind of do. If someone uses correct punctuation, it speaks directly on what they think of you. If you uh, are in a text, worth, if you are yeah, if you are worth correct yeah. spelling and punctuation, there are people that I will text that I don't care about typos right. and how it is. But um, for the most part, if it's if it's someone that I highly respect, you know, not just a regular. Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if, yeah, it it speaks to how they want you to regard them. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'll text my sister and it's just full of typos Yeah, and absolutely. Or, you know, anyone I'm close yeah. to. But if I was texting, you know, someone that I wanted to think I was, uh, you know, smarter on the ball or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I see what you're saying. Okay. B. Slammon says, going through my notes app and questioning my sanity. I started a wish list and this is as far as it got. Uh-oh. This oh, involves clicking on. Twitter <laughs> pick. Yeah. Um, but... I remember looking at that one originally. I forget what it was. Yes, but I also do that. I, I'll find things in my notes app, and, and I have no memory of what it was. Um, and but then I'm hesitant to delete it lest I need it. Like there's a lot of addresses in there, mm-hmm. and I don't want to erase them, but I don't know what they are anymore. Right. So I probably should. That's now- <laughs> probably a good just me or everyone. You can't delete old numbers in your phone that you've never contacted and never will contact. But just in case, <laughs> just in case right. I ever need to contact random. Uh, yeah, anybody. Yeah. I got their number. <laughs> Mallory says, after I use lotion, I immediately regret it because everything sticks to me. Strands of hair, dog hair, blanket, fuzz, etc. Yes. I have the same situation with lotion, which is that I'll let my hands get really dry because I don't want to put lotion on because I don't want to take the time to just let it – because then you just can't use your hands. So I'm with you, Mallory. Um, All right. All right. Thank you so much. I think we are waiting on B. Slammon's notes app question. B. Slammon's notes app question. It's coming. While we wait, uh, for the record, I checked all my messages from Dawson. Great punctuation and uh, no typos. Yeah. Says a lot. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, good. I'm glad. Um, with, you know, I can't imagine that you take the time to make sure it's all correct with them. I do. Wow. I, and yeah, I, I do. And it's important. It speaks to what, how you regard this person. Do you, you, you know, with your sister and your brother? That's a whole different story. You're stuck with them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always check my punctuation um, because it. You know, it gives people an idea of what if, – if if you matter enough for me to use the correct spelling of your. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I do see what you're saying. For some reason, I sort of regard text messages as – It's a shortcut. As it's more – it's more just a conversation as opposed to like an actual letter. <laughs> Although email has yeah. become that too. I mean I remember there were – there were remember when email used to involve dear so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Um, which it so rarely this, does anymore. I saw this uh, ad uh, over Christmas time, for and it was a child using a, a talk to type program. Wow! Um, and you know he's just writing a paper, but he's not even. We're not even telling kids to learn to type anymore. Now you just talk, and the program does it for you. That pissed me off. That would piss me off too. Just but I wonder what type. program it was because yeah. that sounds good. I think that I remember people being afraid that writing and typing would go away, but I think that because we're so 
uh, hooked on technology. I don't think it that ever really. No, will. I don't think it will. But but um, nobody. There's a specific way you're supposed to put your hands yeah. on the keyboard the when you type, and nobody does that anymore because they're so used to the hunt and peck. Right, and they can type much faster than me. But you know, I was trained. I took a typing class in high school, um, just to you know mm-hmm. to learn how to do it. I'm, I, I like being able to type. I think more people should. Well, Dawson, thank you so much for doing my show. I, this has been it delightful. It has been a pleasure. I'm very happy to to uh, to be a part of it, Allison. Hmm. All right. So it turns out that tweet doesn't exist anymore. Perhaps oh. it was deleted. Be slamming if you're listening. What was your note? What was your note? Be <laughs> It'll slamming? haunt us till the end of our days, or till like 15 minutes from now. Right. I'm not going to be able to One get anything other. done. I'm not going to be able I to know. move on. Look, look at the monkey wrench you've thrown into our lives. Um, so follow Dawson on Twitter at Dos Angeles. You can follow me at uh, Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. You can follow Chris, who's now behind the glass, too. At what? Where do we follow you? Oh, uh, you can follow me at Chris Loxamana. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You I can do. email the show ariymbf at adamcrowell.com. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, why not click through the banner on my website, allisonrosen.com? It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does help out the show. Also, we have a ringtone. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. <laughs> It'll just make you feel better when you hear it. You I need like it. it. You can set it your text tone, you can wake up to it. You you can do whatever you want with it. You can identify other Allison Rosen as your new best friend listeners via this uh, ringtone. You can get that by searching Hey Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. And also, very exciting good news, our special bonus episode recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival um, year two is now available. And the guests were Doug Benson and musician Matt Costa and mm, also Gary bonus. and Matt and Chris. Yeah. So that, I know Matt Costa. You do? Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's, uh, he's good. Yeah. He talked in the mic, and he performed some songs. Well, most of the times when you get a musician performing, uh, 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 talking on a podcast, uh, musicians understand that a microphone works best when you get close to it and talk down the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. He, his, to- his tones were great. Yeah. <laughs> they respect the science. Um, yeah, so you can get that by uh, searching in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being on the show, Dawson. Thank you, Allison. I love you guys. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show?
This is Corolla Digital.